0: Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 84.
1: People try to have power by defining things. Mm. That works for good and for evil, because the thing that I hear is they'll say, "Pretty dance style, kids, tango, swing, is, and then they use that definition to kind of set up their argument about why you can't teach or this person's dancing is bad or we're only going to be going around to these festivals, you know, by creating these like rigid definitions of like what the dance is, you start to get this like religiosity Mm. and it moves away from like tolerance and curiosity and defining a bigger picture and closer towards here's a little here's a little 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 box here's a little rib. It's cute. this is the dance anything outside of this is heresy and you know mm-hmm. and then they go around they try to burn all the witches <laughs> but you know in my experience i love dancing with the witches <laughs> i love dancing yeah. <laughs>
2: por tu amor si no tengo nada que perder si no me lo das tu otro lo hará y volveré como siempre a sentirme bien porque sin amor yo no vivo soy como el nido los desaparecidos, los recuerdos olvidados el mal sabor más escuchado los asesinatos sin testigos no mendigo, solo pido porque tengo mucho que ofrecer ahí está el placer de saber ese ruido aunque me equivoque todo vale en mi mente envió desde el principio con la verdad acuesta me acuesto con lo digo que me levanto
1: Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing
0: stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Hello, hello, everyone. This is Charles with the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast coming at you with yet another weekly episode. And I guess this week marks a first. I think this is going to be the 84th episode so far that we're trying to get and be more consistent with. Um, I have like this little calendar on my computer that's like on the road to 100 episodes, which will give me, if I keep consistent, Uh, get me into like, I think January 2021, but I'm gonna try to stay consistent with it. But uh, on the line we have here, my friend Jessica Cutler, who is a tango instructor. And this is the first tango person I've had on the podcast. So this is gonna be pretty interesting to see uh, how we can nerd out on some dance stuff. So thank you so much, Jessica, for joining me today.
1: Thank you, Charles. Uh, happy to be representing Tango. <laughs> I'm one of the Tango dancers that cross dances quite a bit. That's mm-hmm. so been fun getting to know people and in, in the other scene.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. I know. Remember when I was in Denver? When I was there in was it then when I was in December last year?
1: I think so. Was that you were teaching some workshops here and we. Mm-hmm. Um, we did some trades and Mm -hmm. and John, um, urban kids with you and got kind Mm -hmm. of like brand new introduction to it. Yeah. I think that was December because it's the only time I remember you visiting Denver.
0: Yes. So that was December. I was teaching some workshops and I think Devin was in town as well, who is a ZOOP teacher and I interviewed her. There's a podcast there. I'll link that in the show notes and yes i remember getting a chance to trade which was really really awesome and you let me do laundry because i think i was in Denver for like a week or two and then i like i needed to do some laundry and you lended me your laundry space so thank you for that i remember that and yeah it was really really fun to to trade and like compare terminology and intentions and and things like that because i definitely recognize that tango is been around for a long time but not only has it been around for a really long time but i feel like the level of what's the word i'm looking for the level of dedication to breaking down the techniques and the names and things like that i feel is very evolved um, compared to a lot of other partner dances, and i feel like that really helps to dance uh, gain it's really like technical yet really elegant look, you know?
1: Yeah. I think that one thing tango dancers all have is a sort of like curious, obsessive quality. You you definitely have to enjoy the learning process and be mm. like, who's curious and learning all the time. And I feel like maybe there's just been a little more time because tango was coming out Really strong um, in the U.S. and in, in the early '90s. Mm.
2: So
1: it's just had like I mean, and not even just, but then if you trace it back, it's like definitely over a hundred years old. Mm. So it's just had a little more time for people to obsess about it, and okay. I, with the mind-body movement coming out, you see. I feel like that I can connect to seeing like a lot of the really like micro technique coming mm-hmm. out
0: too. Definitely. Yeah, I feel it's really, really great. I remember going to a Tango Festival a few years ago, and that was really, really awesome. And to this day, I say that is probably some of the best instruction that I've received in a group class. But the, the couple that was teaching, I believe they were married. They'd have been teaching together for 10 plus years. So they just had their flow down. They had their ways to make you think about the, the weight transfer. It was really awesome because the class was labeled as like a beginner class, but they were still people who had been dancing tango for three plus years, still taking the class. Uh, they had assistants in the class. They were helping people out with technique. It was just like a really nice overall experience. And regardless of how many years you were dancing, there was something to take away. And like, I don't know. It's, it's really nice to have instruction where the teacher not only shows you a move, but Jen also opens your mind up to like other possibilities, but not in an overwhelming way. It's like a really gradual ascension of of awareness to to the end of the class. It was really, really nice.
1: I'm so glad you had such a good experience with it. Just like any other dance I've studied, you can have a variation of experiences on your first tango class. Mm. Like there are still like everywhere else levels of teachers and levels of dancers and people who are more proficient or less proficient but i'm just uh like as a dance overall like the content that it has to offer is definitely some really juicy content and mm-hmm. i'm glad you got to taste the the fruit of the tree <laughs> the For sure,
0: i wish i could remember the name of those two instructors i want to say it was probably the austin Tango festival from like either 2018 or 2017 or something like that. But yeah, it's been really cool. It's something like I always really enjoy watching tango. Um, I think we talked about a little bit, like the the old school music isn't like my most favorite, but when yeah. we start to play the nuevo tango stuff, that really piques my interest for sure. Um, and then it seems nowadays, like tango seems to be coupling, for lack of a better word, itself with like other dancings, there's like an urban kids tango style that two couples have. Uh, you've seen tango elements in Brazilian zouk. You see tango elements in salsa and also in fusion. So there seems to be this migration of of tango influence on other uh, dance styles as well. I'm pretty sure that you've picked up on as well. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah. This is like a subject I get really <laughs> like difficult mm-hmm. to um uh, because I love dancing to alternative and I love mm-hmm. dancing all different kinds of movement mm-hmm. and I'm like really, really curious. I was working um, for a while a dancer um, in Seattle um, a Brazilian zoo dancer. Um, his name is Pablo Tapia mm-hmm. and we were working on combining um, Zook and Tango. So we were doing like um, Tango on the bottom like footwork and and like the the basics of it, like the mm-hmm. basic patterns and looking at the corresponding head movements for those Tango positions mm-hmm. and playing with that and we were having like a ball with it. Um, and so it's like something I'm like deeply curious about. So I have like from cross-dancing my whole life as a dancer, like mm. always find that. I think of it that each dance kind of tends to focus on either a subject or a body part mm. that's really, really good at teaching. So like when I was doing like swing dancing, Lindy Hop, West Coast Swing, I learned so much about um, elasticity, stretch, Um, turns, bounce, pulse, um, big, open, out connection. Mm. When um, I was learning Balboa and blues, I learned um, close embrace, um, soft, 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 connection and communication and flowiness and wateriness and like a real forward intention, Um, tango, Tango, for me, has mastered, like, from the hips down.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, tango, I feel like what you really learn is how to completely control the lower body. Um, Zouk, I've been super, super in love with Zouk. Um, and for me, Zouk, like, really mirrors Tango in that it is mastering the ribcage, shoulder, girdle, and head and how those things work like in a concert and in a relationship and mm. then how to lead them and follow them, how to control all of these joints in a way that feels amazing because of the high level, it feels good. Definitely. Like the qualities I feel and good dancing are, are for me, kind of universal.
0: Mm, that's a good, um, ideas to have. I like that you use the word in concert, like in unison of your joints going together. And I know that you're an anatomy nerd, so we'll get a little bit into that. And yeah, it's really interesting to see the evolution of these different dance styles kind of like in their own right. And then seeing where they overlap when you start to play around, you know, and then what happens if you take a high-level zouk dancer and a high-level tango dancer, and you have them dance to Bruno Mars. that is, So a, a, a genre of music that has nothing to do with either style, you know? So that kind of stuff is really what even got me to um, start delving in fusion a lot more. And I think, have you met Vanessa? Vanessa Ixia? She's out of yeah. Dallas.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I know her. I was... Um... Uh, dancing with her festivals when I was a wee little dancer, um, dancing Fusion.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: I remember when um, Fusion festivals were kind of like hot at that time.
0: Yeah. So I did a, a podcast with her as well about what is Fusion. And I've worked with her um, on several events in Dallas just because I really believed in that as well. Um, and those are the socials where I literally have the most fun because I can use my salsa technique. I can use my kizomba technique. I can shake my booty however I want. Like it's just no rules. So you really get to play with the music, but like all that high level awareness and high level skill doesn't really go anywhere. So um, you just try to connect to your partner in the best way you know how, but really dancing at the edge of your creative musical imagination is really something that's really, really fun. And not to say that you can't get there when you're just dancing one style, but I really love that dancing to, like you said before, alternative music, because there's really awesome music out there that you could apply these um, techniques to, you know? And it's good to, it doesn't have to be like your core function, but it's good to definitely play around every now and then. And even that brings more inspiration to bring back into the core dance itself, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, you know, we we work really hard on like particular ideas, like a particular style, a particular dance, or a particular set of movements or set of technique. And you know, if you're really passionate about dance, then you try to learn history and you try to mm-hmm. learn the and you try to learn about the body. And you take it very very seriously. And so when we put in all that hard work, like occasionally, you know, we have to like um, go into the playground and like. Mm-hmm draw pictures in the sand. and Yeah, and, for sure. You know, I feel like it's really important to be, be extremely, like, playful and expressive to balance that out. Because I think that's where, like, we learn, is we actually, at least for me, anytime mm-hmm. I'm working hard on stuff, it integrates, you know, in the social dance, in the play, in the fun of mm-hmm. it, it becomes my movement. Um, through that like loving and playful place. And so there's real value in, in letting go of structure.
0: Definitely. For sure. Okay. That was an awesome opener. And <laughs> for those who are listening right now, and you may have never heard of Jessica, because I know that my audience is primarily in the kissing, but uh, Jessica, could you take A couple of minutes and give our listeners a short bio of your dance career dance life
1: yeah Um, so I have been dancing for about 11 years and I started in the very beginning in the blues uh, scene I got invited Um, to a house party and thought I had walked into a scene in Dirty Dancing.
2: Mm. And
1: I loved that movie as a kid. And um, I instantly fell in love with, like, close embrace and, like, warm, close connection. And sort of, like, in the first three months started with, like, blues, tango, not tango, blues, swing, um, like Lindy Hop and Balboa. And shortly after that, started training uh, West Coast and tango. And in about two or three years, I was teaching. I was like a, I was like one of those people who just like started and then went absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found myself in tango, um, which is interesting. It was the movement was really attractive to me, um, and I got with my partner John. Um, mm-hmm. We started dating and. It was something that he wanted was to pursue like a career martial time and so i started putting all of my effort into that and so i have developed most strongly as a tango teacher um i have uh i teach locally i perform locally um i teach nationally i do like weekends i do big events john and i run the biggest tango festival in colorado it's nice. called Tangle in the Rocks, and it happens every Labor Day weekend. Um, we're sort of famous for our table routine. We did a routine on top of a table that has um, over 7 million views on it.
0: On Facebook or YouTube?
1: On Facebook.
0: Okay, I'll look for that video, or you can send me the link to it, so that pay. Yeah. if people want to watch that. They can, they can check it out.
1: Yeah, that we did about two years ago. And we were sort of like climbing up and like teaching like um, a couple like national level gigs, and then we kind of like blew up after that. And we still eat on that table every day. It's my room <laughs> <day.
2: laughs>
1: because I, 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 don't know, I live in an apartment now, having storage. Mm. So yeah, so now that's my main gig is like teaching tango, um, performing. I'm into everything, everything about it. I'm more in love with it now than I was when I started.
0: That's awesome to hear. I'm curious to ask you a couple of questions about, I guess, I know Tango etiquette is definitely a thing. And then I'm also curious to hear a little bit about, I guess, the dancepreneurial side of things as well, because I'm also an organizer and you're an organizer and a traveling instructor to kind of see how those... I guess parallels work in a completely different dance genre, you know? In tango, I know there's definitely, I feel like when I go to a tango class and the the students are there, they're definitely really invested to learn and dedicate themselves to learn the proper t- technique. I don't know sometimes in other dancing, it's hard to find the same level of of dedication, if you will. But I also feel like, the The ladder that you can climb in Tango is also very laid out as well. You can kind of see which, what you can work on and giving things names in the curriculum and things like that as well. But I'm curious to see, like when you first started teaching Tango, how long did it take until you started, I guess, great, gaining credibility to be able to start teaching?
1: You know, I jumped into teaching really fast, maybe kind of early.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I was at that time teaching blues regularly and I was teaching locally, like with, um, swing, mostly Lindy hop and East coast swing. Mm -hmm. And so my, my partner, who's already teaching professionally. Okay. That helps for sure. So I ended up jumping in and kind of like as an assistant with him. And I feel like at that moment I realized like, you have this sudden realization like of what your real level is.
0: Mm. And I
1: realized how many people are watching me. There's a huge culture of sitting and watching. And... Have to long, guys. Yeah. And everywhere, especially if you're like, you have some notoriety. Mm. And so I started going crazy, taking lessons and doing seminars. Fortunately, some of like, uh, the greatest and most famous tango teachers in the world moved from BA and they live in Boulder, Colorado, which is only 45 minutes from me. And so and I started,
0: just for the listeners, when you say BA, you mean Buenos Aires from Argentina, yeah?
1: Yeah, thank you. And so I just, I just went really heavy into it. And so I sort of learned and taught and performed all at once as a tango teacher.
0: Wow, that's awesome
1: yeah but for what for i was set up well because of the cross training Mm. um i already had like a leg up my following was already really good and i didn't look half bad but now it's like a totally different animal because it's not just to to follow it you know you need to really know the dance you need to build Um, it from both both worlds
0: That's awesome. So you're able to learn from these instructors in, in Boulder. And I guess were they also helping your partner out as well? Were those oh, yeah. were these people your, I guess, I you guess the right? whole mentorship thing is like pretty strong in Tango as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like strong bonds. You know, you find a teacher, you like, kind of need to show up like you want to be taught like they're not they don't need to like like beg you to come to their class like mm. if you're, you know if you ask nicely they might give you a private that's like i feel like more the feeling in tango like you there's a huge culture of respect and mm. so you know i that was one thing i learned from the culture is that you that that's really important to give and to receive um, and so I have a ton of respect for my teachers and, um, John does too. My partner, um, he's the one who introduced me to them. He was already working with them and mm-hmm. we still work with them. We still show up, um, and learn from their classes all the time. I think if I wasn't learning, I would probably switch careers <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. because
1: it, it feels me to keep going. Um, but the teachers I'm talking about are um, Gustavo and Giselle, and they mm-hmm. run the Boulder Tango Studio. And I've had I like I'll study with other people and learn things and take privates here and there. Like I'm I'm like very open, but it's important sometimes to work with a couple that has this like huge map of the dance and all yeah. these details, and have a curriculum and a program like you're saying set up. Mm-hmm. because it really helped me to see the whole big picture and which pieces I needed to fill in.
0: Definitely. No, that's awesome. I really like what you said about the, the map of the dance. And it really just helps you like, hey, this month I could focus on this. Next month I could focus on that. Revisiting this technique and seeing how they connect and things like that is really awesome because obviously like when I think of ballet, there's a map of ballet and their terminology and techniques and from doing your simple frappes and tendus to um pirouettes and jumps and glissades and all these kind of things it's crazy but um it's really awesome to see that progression and how everything is kind of linked together for sure you are learning from gustavo and giselle in boulder and your partner was already worked with them as well, so that's really awesome. Did how long was it before the uh, Tango on the Rocks was born?
1: In about two years, we started with everything. Um, you're talking about being a dance entrepreneur, and it's like interesting because that kind of like fell into my lap. Mm. There were already festivals like Denver has had two festivals a year. It has two festivals a year. And they are one of the first 10 tango festivals that ever happened in the United States. Wow. And they ran for a really long time. And the organizers, you know, after a certain amount of time decided like, okay, we're, we want to be done. And they um, asked me and John to take over. And so we ended up taking over um, one of them um, because one festival a year is enough. <laughs>
0: For sure, I can, I agree with <laughs> yeah. you definitely.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah, the, we did two. We all we did two festivals for one year, and we like swore like never again.
0: <laughs> hmm. Uh, but what was the average uh, attendee count at the Tango on the Rocks?
1: So these festivals, when they started out, would have five hundred thousand people, like in the early days. Hmm. By the time we inherited it, we're looking at one to two fifty. And the particular event we took over the last year that it was run, it had I think it was like under a hundred. Mm. And we've restructured it and created like a lot more space to try to invite younger generations specifically, and tried to remodel it on like what we would want to do. And so we made sure there's some alternative milongas, and mm-hmm. we like hire chefs to come make food during the day and at night, feed mm-hmm. people tacos all night, and take it out of the hotel and create like a little bit of a party vibe. Tell people that they can play like an alternative song in between, and people dance to it. That's okay. Mm-hmm. So having like like looser rules and like a more like fun party vibe. Um, now, like last year, we we basically sold out, and we were expecting this year to do with the venues we currently have to be maxed out around three hundred and fifty. Nice. Yeah,
0: that's really. I like the vibe. Yeah, I know that as organizers, like we have these plans for the year, and you know, promotion starts like almost right after the the current one ends. You know, and. Yeah. That hasn't took place yet because of everything that's happening with COVID, but I really like hearing about the different structure of catering to the students and making the socials more accessible. And I guess we could even go down the rabbit hole of attracting a younger generation into Tango because a lot of the Tango places that I've been to is definitely an older crowd. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts about that and obviously music plays a part into that for sure. And I guess I also, let's start with that before I get too crazy with my ideas. What was your, I guess, motive to be able to attract younger generations? And I guess, why is it, do you feel like most of the 10 ghettos are older?
1: Partly because the people who got into it and started it in the 90s are still in it. Mm. Partly because it's the dance itself um, is accommodating to older people and older bodies. Um, Partly because of the why, and I'm like listing off reasons why there's like an older crowd in the community. Mm -hmm. The aesthetic, like um, older people, like love the the aesthetic of like the silky dresses and the like cool-looking suits and, you know, this, like, vibe. And I think it's like anything else. When you see people who look like you, you're like, oh, I'm accepted here. Mm. Like, I love it that tango is a place that you get to get older and be loved and be in the community. That's really valuable, and it's strongly missing in a lot of other dance teams. Like, mm-hmm. it's very, very hard for older people to like actually feel like they have a place in the community and that they're liked in in other dances. So I think it's a strength. Mm-hmm. You know? But still it feels like this hole for me that there's not these other dancers, like these other age groups, like my age group, even younger people. And and I think it's the same problem whereas they don't see people that look like themselves, that dress like themselves that listen to the same music that they do. So if you don't see somebody who looks like you, you feel like, like, where's your place? You know, how do you feel like, you don't feel like you belong as well. And so I started doing like my weekly classes and my weekly practica with like mostly alternative. I would do like 80, 20 alternative to traditional tango
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and post some demos like dancing to alternatives, and um inviting my friends from other dance scenes to like come take my classes come to my practica come hang out um i think the music is probably like the thing that turns off most younger people because it sounds like if you've never heard it it's like really foreign so if you've never heard this kind of music before it'll feel like you're listening to a high pitched classical music. That's like kind of cute. You're like, what is this strange mm-hmm. thing? Because it's so foreign. Um, but what's fun to realize about tango music is it's like the gangster rap of its time. Like it was something that like, you know, nice people didn't do. Listen yeah, to. for
0: sure. Mm-hmm.
1: It was only after tango went to Europe. And the Parisians loved it, and it became all the more there. And then they're like, "Oh yeah, so yeah, you know." But this is something that, like, like the the, the this was something very lowbrow.
0: For sure, I remember bachata has similar history as well.
1: Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, I feel like you could definitely like if you look at the history, when you you can see that similar things were happening at the same period and in, mm-hmm. in, in a lot of our dances.
0: I definitely feel like my experiences at the Milongas for sure, like at the Tango Festival, my, I would definitely have a little extra pep in my step when they played like a Kizomba. Sometimes some of the DJs like knew a Kizomba song and they like throw one in there. And yeah, it was just easier to connect to the music. And I was born in 84. So I'm not like super, super young, but um, when I hear the, I guess, alternative music, it definitely inspires my dancing a lot more. And I know here in Austin, they've had a couple of milongos where they have two rooms going at the same time. And one is playing traditional music and another one is playing strictly alternative music. And that's really fun because I just stay in the alternative room all night long and this is a good segue into my next question because obviously there's a really rich history in tango but at the same time there's this i guess cross training and alternative push that's happening i feel and so i feel like some of the older crowd could say like well i don't want to go too far That way, because then you lose the essence in the roots of the dance. And I guess there's this stretch, like how do you have appreciation for the roots of the dance and the way things were and not being ignorant of those things? And then also still being open to cross training on the other side of things without, I guess, disrespecting the culture and I'm curious to hear how you juggle those two uh, ends of the spectrum. Dilly, dilly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I have definitely been had people like my whole like dance life from a baby going up. I've had people kind of throw in nicks at me about it. Oh, child trades master mm. none. Oh, you have time for that? I only have time for tango. Like. Hmm. You know, I feel like it's a huge blessing, and it strengthens me. And I know how to compartmentalize it. I know how to do strictly tango. I know how to do strictly really just close embrace and to be like very very reserved in my dancing. Um, and I know how to go into an open. And I know how to play. I'm trying to balance it by having like love and respect for the space that I'm in when I'm in it. When I'm learning something from somebody, I'm curious, I'm open, I'm learning, I'm analyzing, I'm trying to embody it. Mm-hmm. And when I'm out at a place and I'm dancing with somebody and there's like freedom and curiosity, then we're going to do whatever we can do together as two dancers. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important and really pure is to not lose sight of, like, people are naturally going to expand their limits and are naturally going to keep learning different techniques. Because if you're curious, you know, you can't, you can't just stop and put yourself in a box like you can. And I think it's easy for a lot of people. They prefer to focus really on one thing because um, it's really daunting, To look at the multitude of movements and conditions. It's complex, it's big. Um, All I can say is that I'm skipping down the road, collecting the fruit from all the different trees, just like excited about it. I'm really, really deeply excited to um, keep taking in um, new movements. So the trick is to not be doing fusion and say like, Oh, this is, this is a, you know, traditional Argentine tango.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: The, The trick is to like really deeply learn the dance openly and have a lot of love and respect while you're doing it and understand what you're doing when you start breaking the rules and you start playing with things.
0: Definitely. I think I like the word that you said, which was compartmentalized. And there's times to study. And like we said before, you have to kind of balance it. You really study or put yourself in a student role of the dance and put yourself in that box. Like, hey, let's focus on pure tango technique here as well. But then if you're dancing with a dancer who doesn't do tango or music that isn't Traditional tango, then I feel like obviously that's going to inspire m- new kinds of movement and creativity and and musicality and things like that. And it doesn't have to be a dichotomy. It doesn't have to be like, oh, you either respect tango or anything else you do is an immediate disrespect to tango. Like it can be both. It can be so many different boxes, and you just have to be like, in this particular moment, this is what my intention is, you know, and then. It, If I go over to the other side of the spectrum, okay. In this moment, this is what my intention is. But it doesn't doing one or the other doesn't commit immediately cancel uh, out. But it's it's interesting how sometimes we get caught up in in dichotomies, you know, like Republican Democrat or rich and poor or all these kind of things. And it's definitely more of a spectrum. And, and at the end of the day, you have to do what really makes you happy because if you're not happy doing what you're doing, then you're not going to want to continue doing it. You know?
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that's exactly it. Just because you dance, um, you go out onto the floor and you're dancing tango and you do something that's like out of the box. doesn't so, I mean, you don't love tango. or You don't respect it. You know? And I, I think that that's where the confusion can kind of come in, and I think that part mm. of the reason that happens is that people try to people try to have power by defining things. Mm. That works for good and for evil because the thing that I hear is they'll say particular dance style, kids tango swing is, and then they use that definition to kind of set up their argument about why you can't teach or this person's dancing is bad or we're only going to be going around to these festivals, you know, by creating these like rigid definitions of like what the dance is, you start to get this like religiosity. Mm. And it moves away from like tolerance and curiosity. And defining a bigger picture and closer towards here's a little here's a little 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 box here's a little bit. cute. This is the dance. Anything outside of this is heresy. And you know, mm-hmm. and then they go around. They try to burn all the witches. <laughs> but you know, in my experience, I love dancing with the witches. <laughs> I love <Yeah>.
2: dancing
1: <laughs> with with people who are who think outside the box, who are creative, who are more interesting.
0: Definitely. And I feel like another, there's similar parallels in, in Kizomba and also in Brazilian Zuka as well. This, this appreciation for the new, but then also like a uh, respect and honoring of the past. And one thing that I also find very interesting is that if we look at the creation and the inception periods of a lot of these dances, it was a lot of curiosity and accepting new things and, these things just kind of like amalgamated in one particular geographic location from a lot of different influences. And that kind of gave birth to like the seed of these partner dances that we're seeing today. So it's interesting to see tolerance, curiosity, accepting other cultures and all these kind of things at the inception. And then like the door closes and then that's it. And then it just has to stay that way. But also it's very interesting to see how a lot of these partner dances are kind of like these trees in their own rights that have overlapping roots. But Uh, now that these trees are like mature trees and they're growing and they're blooming, it almost feels like their branches are starting to cross over and play with one another, uh, especially through the power of social media. And it's interesting to see the, the different styles that kind of like are they come out from that, you know?
1: Yeah. I think if you're really, really passionate and you're curious, then you're going to try to go to your full potential. And if you're, you know, a zoo dancer, you may find that, Oh, like a lot of this tango technique, a lot of this stuff with the feet and the legs, you know, it's just going to further your potential. Mm hmm. I remember when I first, first, first in the very beginning started dancing tangos because I heard it would make my other dancing better. You know,
2: Mm.
1: my initial excitement about it was like, oh, I can like, you know, it's a great technique. I can use it to make my dancing better. But then I found out, oh, no, I'm really addicted to it, Um, which actually makes me kind of think back to the music a little bit. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you go from hearing this music that's like really bizarre to being totally in love with it? And the trick is that you make friends and that you dance to alternatives and that you over time, your brain gets used to it, like big band swing, you know, like I didn't used to just put it on the radio and listen to it. But after being exposed to it now, it's like, I could just listen to it for hours. It becomes more nuanced. It becomes more complex. What really did it for me was hearing an amazing tango orchestra. Live. Mm. And then I felt it, you know, you feel this thing in the tango music. Where it's like you can't tell if it's heavy metal or if it's really sad or if it's like Looney Tunes, like the battling pianos, like trying to fight each other. It's like wild and rough and like a little bit dirty. And like suddenly there's this huge range of feelings and range of emotions. And so people who love the movement, people who love the community, people who love learning they're going to eventually, if they love tango, they'll be at the traditional milongas.
2: And mm. so my
1: advice for any dance scene is play the music that's going to attract people and bring them in and teach them the dance. Because if they love that dance, they're going to do the traditional.
0: Mm, for sure. You have to meet them where they're at, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Play, play to, you know, bring people in who look like these people, bring in, young know, people, bring in a variety of people. And play music that and dress in a way that is like welcoming. And when people love that art form, they'll be curious. You know, all of my students who came in and who are like 100% alternative. You know, I look at them at the Milongas now, all dressed up, excited. Mm. You know, when the Pugliese comes on and they get to hear like a wild tango, and they love it now. So we want to have deep respect for loving people and meeting them where they're at and also a deep love and respect for the traditional the traditional dance and all of its beauty and its art form and i think that the music really naturally separates you know Definitely. when i hear really traditional tango it doesn't make me want to do body
2: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> when i hear like really like interesting different kinds of of music I can connect to people at, like, various levels. And so, yeah, I think the key is to not dissociate ourselves from either.
0: Yeah. And compartmentalize and just make sure you're giving both uh, equal amount of attention, you know, because I feel both are valid. And if we're talking about how the dance is going to evolve and grow looking forward 20 years, then we're definitely going to have to be open and we're definitely going to have to have newer blood coming in and things like that as well. So it's important to, like you said before, play that music to attract younger crowds as well, you know? Yeah. All right. So I remember when I was in Denver and we got a chance to do a trade and it was really interesting to hear you talk about the anatomy side of things. And even looking at the, the video that you have right now, I uh, see the skeleton that you have there as well. So, awesome. um, can you talk a little bit about how, I guess, how how does anatomy show up a lot in a lot of tango instruction? Because it's really interesting. And I feel like, of course, the, you have the culture. And sometimes I've come across instructors in different dance scenes that really focus on like, hey, this is how we do it in a particular country or something like that you know but then there's like other instructors that aren't so culturally driven but they're more kind of like nerdy and anatomically driven and i mean of course the common denominator across all of us is that we all have a skeleton so if we're able to use that as a common ground it can really help people understand what's going on you know
1: yeah, and, and you actually just said it, which is that, for me, everybody has a skeleton. We all have, um, although we're all beautifully, uniquely different in how our bodies work, we also have, we all have a heart, we all have a brain, we all have lungs, um, and we all have bones. And the human body is like, it's like a machine. It's like, a, you could look at it in the plumb level square model, which is like, you have your foundation you have your beams and you have your roof, and you want everything to be even and stacked. And so that's like the first um, idea that I like to talk to with people is to understand their basic joints. I believe that eventually there'll be like more universal dance teacher like certifications. And mm-hmm. if I was writing like what teachers would need to have for like a certification to be like a dance instructor to teach nationally, you know, you would need to know basic joint functions
2: mm-hmm. and basic
1: functions because all we're doing is teaching movement. So you need to know where your hip socket is. And if you ask somebody, where is your hip socket? And like if you're sitting at home listening to this, and you're maybe you're standing, I'll see people touch at the top of their pelvis here, their iliac crest, I'll see them touch here. Or here, all on the outside, but the hip socket, like on the outside of the hips, and they're touching the outside of the bones. The hip Uh socket's like, if you have your panty line or your speedo line, your underwear line, and you take the middle third of that, so it's rather closer to the pubic bone, that's the hip socket. That's where Mm. your body rests, is on top of this. I had... One of my mentors, um, her name is Brenda Russell. She lives in Portland, and she teaches from Franklin Method as well as like a variety of other um, trainings and certifications she has. What
0: is the Franklin Method?
1: Franklin Method. I can tell you one. I can't. I can say one. Some of what it definitely is, and some of what it definitely is is the study of the micro-movement of bones. Mm. We think of bones moving like in a gross way, like the knee bends, but the knee actually bends, it slides, it spins. It's uh, it's it, like the way we think of joints moving is usually simple, and it's generally more complicated when you look at it more deeply. Mm. Um, so I was at a blues workshop with her and she brings out a skeleton and has everybody putting the pelvis together and touching and visualizing their bones and it became clear to me that this was like the most important thing i was deeply deeply inspired because to understand your actions you can find comfort and freedom so if i can stack my bones then once i'm stacked and I let gravity hold me up, now I can move like a jellyfish. Now Mm -hmm. I can move with no effort, with no tone. And people struggle so hard. They're trying to stick their butt up. They're trying to pull their shoulders back. They're trying to do this and do that and do the other thing to find this, what they're trying to feel like or what they're trying to look like. And it, it has this feeling of like, You've got a huge load of socks in the laundry, and you're like trying to hold them all. And you're like, okay, my head's, my shoulders are back, belly's in, mm-hmm. you know, and then it feels like total crack. And the more that we can use our internal sense of comfort, balance, the more we can check on ourselves, and we don't need somebody to tell us on the outside if we're on the front of our foot and the back of our foot because our internal focus grows, uh, our sense of proprioception. So proprioception um, is a sense, and it's the sense of yourself relative to you. Mm-hmm. So if you close your eyes, proprioception is how you know how to put a spoon in your mouth and feed yourself. Because your brain has a map of where your arm is relative to your head. That's proprioception. Mm-hmm. And so it's an internal sense of yourself. And when you work on visualizing your bones, the rest of your tissue organizes around that. For sure. And so the, the amount of struggle and mental effort dissipates significantly when people start to understand their skeletal system. And that has been, because it was so revolutionary for me, both first in figuring out how my axis works, and then figuring out how to do Frame
2: mm-hmm.
1: like someday I'm gonna when I'm feeling a little more brave I'm gonna get up and do a video. It's gonna be public service announcement. Yeah. For all dance instructors, like stop telling people to pull their shoulders back. Mm. Stop saying engage your lats and pull your shoulders back because I think that that cue is a gross cue that is minimally helpful and that there's like way better cues that we have now. Um, so I'm excited about like, what's the weak point in your musculature? You know, if you have your fist on top of your wrist, Mm -hmm. you can, you can take your foot, you can flex it, you can extend it, you can deviate it to both sides. Therefore you can draw a circle with it. Mm -hmm. So you have four different directions of tissue and movement. And when one of them is totally off, or one of them is really tight, and you have an imbalance, it's like a mm-hmm. tent pole with three ropes or four ropes, and one rope is not there, and the other rope is too tight. Mm-hmm. So, when you touch somebody, you know, you start to feel as a dancing instructor immediately, you're like, Okay, let go right here, right here. Okay, that's a tight spot, you know. And the more challenging thing as a dance teacher is figuring out where the weak points are like, What's the actual weak point? And most people, it's not their lats. That are so weak, actually, their armpits, their Mm. like serratus anterior, and their coracobrachialis, and their their other rotator cuffs. And so, when people learn how to move from their body, they learn how to move with internal knowledge, with grace, and with comfort. Because when you see somebody step on the outside of their foot, and their foot is turned in. They're prepared to roll their ankle. Mm-hmm. So the reason that that looks bad is because when you empathize with that position, it makes you feel uncomfortable or afraid. So when you see a position that's balanced and a person that's relaxed, you feel balanced and relaxed. Definitely. So things that are stacked, things that are comfortable, things that where you're using your, Uh, your meat machine efficiently, Mm
2: -hmm. then you're going to feel
1: well, you know,
0: look well. Definitely. That's really, really awesome. I liked how you talked about just a structure for dance teachers, you know, because I feel like dance teachers in a lot of different scenes is really just kind of like this. um, I guess if you have, above average skills and a little bit of marketing available, you can become a dance instructor, but there's no certification or anything like that, that helps people figure out what's going on. And it's kind of a free for all. Yeah. And I feel like some structure would definitely help uh, elevate all dancers If they're more aware of the body anatomically for sure. And I love how you started to talk about the bone structure, because if your bones are in place, you can understand just all those different things. And I'm curious about the, the Franklin method as well. And yeah, all of what you're saying is like, when you're more in tune with your body and your appropriate perception, it just makes things more efficient and you're not trying to force things to happen through tone, you know? And I feel like when you're in dance instructor, you can even close your eyes and dance with a student and you already know where tension is and where they need to relax or Where their foot placement is based on like just feeling their frame, you can feel like if things are relaxed or or tense and things like that, you know.
1: Yeah, if it was a video game, you would like put your hands around your student, Mm -hmm. and then you would would see like a little scan laser Mm beam go like down, and you'd be like, "Okay, your belly and feet are too close to me. Take your your feet one inch back. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. Now your butt is one inch to your right. Take Mm -hmm. your hips." Further and so Okay, now relax here and get here. And um, you know, I, I've always really loved the joke that you can level test by going up and embracing people. I think that's totally true. I've definitely, I definitely noticed that leads test me when they don't know me mm. by taking me into embrace and then seeing how small I can follow. Mm. And so, embrace is definitely a useful level test. I think it's really important for students to understand that the proprioception is a sense. It's like, you have a sense of sight, you have a sense of hearing, you have a sense of smell, you have a sense of taste. And if you want to see better, you kind of like make binoculars and you like, don't listen. Mm -hmm. When you want to hear better, you cup your ear and you close your eyes so that you can listen better. And I, I think people say listen a lot when they talk about proprioception because listening is the closest sense because it's internal and it's not visual. Mm-hmm. I, so if somebody understands that proprioception is a sense, then they can focus on it. They can, I can say, okay, you can have your nervous system in your, you can have the, the focus of your nervous system be in your, um, more in your brain, more in your cognitive, or you can have the focus of your nervous system, be more in your body. Mm. So if you're really super having like your, your body's nervous system on more, then you'll notice it's hard to talk. Like who's here, you know, like I've had so many dances where I was so happy and it went so well. And then I tried to find the words to tell this person like how I'm feeling And I feel like a caveman. Mm. I look at them and I'm like, dance good, Me (laughs) (laughs) like. Like, because, because I'm so, because my proprioception is working so hard at that time. Yeah. That thinking is, goes out the window. For sure. And instead of being like, woo-woo about it or kind of fluffy about it, we can be like very scientific and be very clear. Like, Visualizing your bones is an excellent way to bring your energy um, into your um, nervous system in your body mm-hmm. and to have that system more lit up and to be more focused, to have the ears, you know, cupped at your knees and your hips and your hands and your heart and your shoulders.
0: Definitely. Do you have any recommended resources if people are listening and they're curious about learning about the Franklin method or appropriate perception, do you have any resources to point people to or books?
1: Um, You know, my, the people that I study under that, and that I train with and share and trade with as well, like people I would consider friends, mentors, colleagues, Brenda Russell has um, an online program. I believe she has a Patreon. She has, um, resources around that. And she would be the one to talk about how to start with Franklin method. Mm -hmm. Jerry, Jerry Lai is somebody, um, Zizuk teacher in LA and he's incredible with this. We nerd out and geek out a lot and Mm -hmm. I've been a guest teacher for him. Um, and he teaches from an anatomy base. So I would recommend him for that. Um, I teach online, I teach privately, but I think that you know if you want to keep it real simple, like grab a picture of the bones and just start from the bones. What is my radius? Look at the picture of it. Touch it with your hand. It's hard. It feels like a rock. You can follow it with your hand. You can see where does it end. Where does it begin? And you trace the bone and you follow the bone. So if you touch it and you see it and you say it and you hear it and you feel it, you're probably going to learn it. Mm. You know, we think of anatomy as being like, oh, it's so hard. It's so difficult. It's actually like, I swear, if you just use your touch sense, if you feel it with your hands, it's not hard. Just learn your bones. You learn your basic bones and your basic joints and your life will be changed. You can send me a message about you know how how much better your <laughs> life is. That's right, a mover and-
0: definitely because it goes like of course it definitely helps us in dance because we're teaching movement and how we can I guess move to the music. But of course, if we play any sports, if just walking around uh, stretches, have all had tight muscles and things like that. Like there's definite benefit to learning the anatomy because it's just gonna i mean you're in your body 100 of the time so if you learn more about your body it's just gonna help you um across the board and all the things that you do with your body which is a lot because we're not just laying down in one position all day long you know
1: yeah it's really exciting like what's surprising about it is when you learn your bone and you touch it and then you visualize it you think like, oh, this is going to be hard. This is going to be like being back in my science class and it's going to be like boring and it's going to suck. No, it's actually going to be euphoric. If you can find a partner to do this with and you have, you start with the bones of the arm or the bones of the leg. You start with something simple and you know, just do the big bones like this is the tibia, this is the fibula, this is the femur. You just follow it and you touch their bones and they touch your bones. It's a party. Mm. Like you might as well like have a beer at that point Uh because it's amazing to learn your nominee. It feels incredible. And, um, yeah, I can't go on enough about that. Sweet. I've Mm -hmm. never had a student complain about it ever.
0: That's awesome. No, I I really appreciate you sharing that. And that's even inspiring for me to kind of take a look and, and even know my body better as well.
1: Well, if you want to get on get online and we'll have a little touch party uh-huh. and go over our bones together. Um I'll grab a glass of wine. And- I have some
0: wine here, yeah. some some some, some moscato. I'm a fan of the sweet wines, but yes.
1: It'll be a good hangout.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, Jessica. Uh we are getting close to the ninety minute mark, so Oh, did we really? <laughs> yeah, we're over an hour already. <laughs> okay. No worries. This It's all good. This is a really good conversation. Um, but I do have some non-dance related questions, just kind of like on a personal level uh, to have fun with. And then usually I like to end the podcast with a inspirational piece of advice or a quote or something like that. But let's get into the, I guess, fun questions, yeah? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, if you could eat one particular food or dish for a week straight, what would you choose?
1: Oh, hands down enchiladas.
0: Oh yeah. You like enchiladas?
1: All day, every day.
0: (laughs) Nice, nice, nice. And second question. What is the first app that you open on your phone in the morning?
1: Um, I look at my my messages my text messages mm, I've nice. my family has messaged
0: me I got you all right and the last question would be um, what is your most favorite childhood memory
1: Ooh. Um, I used to go to the beach we would go I grew up in Southern California mm-hmm. and We did these beach trips and I remember we went to Santa Barbara and I remember my mom waking me up in the middle of the night and looking at the ocean and there was this thing where the tides had become like neon. Mm
0: -hmm. The bioluminescent thing going on, yeah? Yeah.
1: So being woken up in the middle of the night to watch the bioluminescent ocean is probably like top childhood memory for me.
0: That's awesome. I haven't seen that in person, but it's definitely on my bucket list for sure.
1: I was like six and I remember it really well. So I was deeply impressed.
0: Definitely. That's awesome. All right, Jessica, uh, do you have any advice for our listeners or some inspiration you'd like to share to close out the podcast?
1: Yeah, you know, if I could tell dancers and people really one thing is to listen to your body internally and respect that information that you get and seek out a feeling of comfort and joy and peace in your own body and look for teachers that are listening to that as well and that respect and listen to your feelings in your particular body and when you stay associated with yourself and you love yourself and you care for your own feelings and give them credibility, um, you will grow.
0: Definitely, awesome advice. All right, Jessica, well, I definitely appreciate you taking some time out of the day and sharing some awesome knowledge with our listeners. Hopefully we'll be able to dance together and do another trade sometime soon in the near future. And yeah, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. Yeah, you have a nice
0: day to talk to you soon. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey.